0: This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen with our ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker.
1: This podcast episode was released to premium subscribers on Monday, April 11th, without any ads or annoying announcements. There are two ways to become a premium subscriber. First of all, go to the website mentioned at the outset, contrarian.supercast.com, or secondly, visit the substack, .substack contrarianpod.substack.com. Prices are exactly the same for both websites. It's the same service featuring the daily contrarian briefing and podcast you get every market day morning at around 7 a.m. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss out on the opportunity. And you certainly don't want to miss getting excellent episodes like these a full week or so in advance. So check it out contrarianpod.substack.com is probably the choice if you are already on Substack. Otherwise, contrarian.supercast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Here you go. Leo Schmidt of River Eddy Capital rejoining the podcast here. We are going to talk about this coming credit crunch. And we all know about inflation and how the cost of goods is much greater today than it was a year or two ago. If you don't believe me, just go fill your tank with gas. But that's all been well-documented. And we've talked somewhat on this program about what to do to protect your portfolio against inflation. But Leo here has a a bit of a a more nuanced view view on that, and also a little bit more of an expansion of it. And so basically, he, I mean, you know what, I'll just shut up and let, you, and let you introduce your idea here, Leo, and then we can take it from there.
2: Nathaniel, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on again. Thanks for coming All on. Right. Um, and plus, I, I love the title of, of, of your podcast, Contrarian, because it's, uh, it's a special place. Indeed. Um, so, um, so let's jump into it. So we were talking briefly before we started. And one of the things I was you know, mentioning is that we're going to have a credit crunch. And so- Things like the unicorn companies are all going to go away. They're all going to blow up if you don't. If you can't man, you generate cash, and you know you're going you're going to be gone. There is not going to be cash because the Fed is going to take away excess liquidity, and um, with that uh, shrinking of liquidity, there's going to be all sorts of credit crunches. And so the question is, where do you go with that? And so of course, you know the unicorn companies are all down a huge amount. Um, companies like Shopify. Are down 50 percent, and they have touched 60, bounced off a little bit, and the you know, so those are easy to see that with the discount factor coming to be, you know, with a higher interest rate, you're going to have a discount factor that makes uh, near-term cash flows much more valuable. Okay, right? so that's pretty understandable. The question is, what no, let I- me, let,
1: yeah, let me let me just interrupt you real quick and put a little uh, you know Monday morning quarterback or, or okay. skip the, the the cynicism here. So what is the now, now, these companies do generate cash like Spotify. These aren't like your dot cash. coms.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it, Spotify's not going to go away. I mean, it's not
2: going to go away. It's yeah. just going to have a tremendous amount of competition.
1: Sure. Okay.
2: You know, and they're not a terribly, you know, I mean, the, the company does okay, but they're not, I mean, it's not a company that's, a, as they like to call themselves, a rocket ship. I mean, they're yeah. basically trading where they were before the pandemic.
1: Yeah, those days are over, right? The days of, of these growth stocks. Okay, fair enough. Okay,
2: you know, and so and it's not it's it's going to be anything that kind of had a pandemic run up, and again, that's actually something maybe we should run through a little bit because what happened before the pandemic, we were having rising interest rates, right. we're having a bit of a credit crunch, companies were feeling a bit, and then we had the pandemic, and you know the spigots were open, rightfully so, in my opinion. I mean, we 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 this pandemic was, you know was pretty. Um, we hadn't seen anything like this probably in my lifetime, yeah. um, right? So the, they opened up the spigots, not just the Federal Reserve, it's fiscal spending, mm-hmm. both the uh, Trump administration and the um, Biden administration, and they were very creative. So they gave, I think, the Federal Reserve $500 million, which they could leverage, like, I think, eight to one and go make loans. And, they, and the Federal Reserve did. They spent money like crazy. Smart move, kept us afloat. So the problem is we kept doing that after we came out of the pandemic, right? And so that we've waited way too long. So we may remember uh, this time last year with, and we had inflation starting, it was all temporary, right? It was all mm. gonna be transitory. Right. And so now that we've been uh, finally uh, a year later, we realize it's not transitory, it's seven, eight percent stuff we haven't seen since the uh, early 1980s. And um, we were late to take away the punch bowl and so as the Fed takes away the punch bowl, um there's just a tremendous amount of uh liquidity in the system. And part of that is because we were fighting the last war. We were fighting the great financial crisis. And so when you had banks that were uh in a credit crunch and busting up, you had to supply a tremendous amount of liquidity, and you didn't worry about it because people were hoarding cash. In the great financial crisis, we hoarded cash. Banks hoarded cra- cash, individuals hoarded cash. And now We're not, we're in the opposite point of the view of this. It's a tremendous psychology change. Banks are making loans like crazy all over the place for mortgages. People are spending money. You know, we have a complete change of psychology. So the velocity of money is turning up again. If you think about the velocity of money as the demand for money, it's how fast we trade. So if you hoard money, you know, you're demanding a lot. If you're spending money, you you want to get rid of it.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so. so Yeah, so let's take a, take a, go back to these pandemic winners here. The, you know, your Pelotons, your Zooms, your who are some of the other big big winners, and and you see all you don't see any hope for any of these, at least not for this cycle.
2: I think we're going to have a tremendous revaluation and rechange, and Shopify's growth rate is going to dramatically shrink. Mm-hmm. So with you know with a valuation that's you know a heady for you know phenomenal growth that goes on forever ain't happening. So mm-hmm. that's going to be revalued, and then you're going to have a revaluation because of the change of interest rates. So cash mm-hmm. flow today is going to be worth more valuable than cash flow on the come.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Fair enough. So, that, so just all those companies are going to be revalued for a variety of reasons. And then you're also going to realize you know, that you know, there's just lack of capital and liquidity, mm-hmm. and it's going to happen all through the credit structure, especially high yield. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2000, seven and eight, before the great financial crisis, we had short-term interest rates at five and a quarter, I believe. Right. So that's probably what you're getting now for high yield bonds, Mm. not too far away, five and a half, six. I mean, think about that. You're having a 10 year bond with a five, you know, you know, it's, it's, well, it's changed now because the interest rates, but a year ago we were at five and a quarter. Right. So we've had a rethinking of credit and you're not as credit, rise up, you're not gonna be able to refinance like you used to because money was flowing. And when you don't have the money to flow, you're gonna have a credit crunch and you're gonna be either not finding money or you're gonna have um, rates that are through the roof.
1: Yeah, yeah. And to your point, mortgage rates for the 30-year mortgage fixed rate just crossed 5% yesterday as we record this.
2: Yeah, so keep going in all likelihood, right? So
1: probably, but let me throw something at you here now. What if the Fed reverses course and what if they decide after a couple more of these 25 basis point increments and they run off their balance sheet or something, they say, Oh, and the market goes against them. They say, Oh, wait, you know what? We think that we need to help out the economy here again.
2: We need to accommodate the economy we because they did it.
1: that once before. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. in late 2018, the same Fed Powell yeah. reversed, you know, the market went against him and he was like, Oh, you know what? We don't need to tighten anymore. Let's,
2: so let's, let's... One with that thought. So, what you're going to have a couple of events that have to do, you're going to have to have a real slowing down of the economy, and you're going to have to have, in the Fed's mind, an exogenous event. Right? So, an an outside event, like the pandemic was something that was outside of the economy. Right? So, there's
1: no exogenous event in 2018.
2: Well, well, we're talking about the rate. Yes, the raising of rates were happening because the economy was beginning to cook like crazy, and we had low inflation, a low. Inflation and low unemployment. And then the inflation rate was starting to go up. The employment rate was, you know, down around, what, three and a half, something like that. I mean, record lows. And what I like to follow, the U6 was crossing way below uh, uh, 6%, which is kind of like the U6, 6%. But when it goes below that, we're really at what I would consider full employment. And so, um, you know, we started to raise rates, right? And that was starting to have a slowdown. And we were having... You know, we had, if you remember, there was some uh, jumps around in the in the overnight funding market, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Nineteen, right? So we we were having, we we're beginning to get this slowdown, and and you know, and then we had the pandemic, and that changed everything.
0: Mm-hmm, so
2: mm-hmm. you know, that was an exogenous event. That was so that would be something completely different than you know. So if we're going to look at the Fed saying we should slow down, we this is not an economic event. This is an exogenous event. So you could say maybe it's an oil crisis because of the Ukraine. Yeah, right? So the Ukraine is going to create this shortage of oil. It's going to push up the price of oil. It's a short... We're going to accommodate our way through that. We're going to you know, help the people. You know, so if we do that, then there's going to be more inflation, right? Because we already mm. have too much money sloshing around. And mm. um, that will create you know, more inflation, which means the pain that comes later will be even more intense. But however we look at this, we have too much money sloshing around. And, yes. you know, we're going to have fiscal spending. You know, we just, you know, the, the money that was spent from these, you know, bills that will pass for infrastructure, it's just getting spent. Yeah. So yeah. all, and so that, again, pushing all this pressure to push up prices, goods, resources. The thing about the Ukrainian oil crisis is, and this might be, again, a contrarian view, but oil is the ultimate liquid commodity. Mm-hmm. It sloshes around. So just because Russia is no longer selling it to Europe, natural gas, oil. It will go to China. It will go to India. It's going to go. There's places in the world where this will be find a market. Mm. You know, if they have to ship it out and, you know, transport two, three or four different ships so that it doesn't look like it's Russian oil, it's going mm. to be it's sure. going to find a place to the market. So people who are accommodating oil because the price of oil they think is going to continue to go up, I think it's. I think, we're, you know, yes, it could, go, it could go higher, but it's not going to go higher forever. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. probably a short-term event, which, again, is a contrarian. Last time I was speaking to you, I was saying go long oil, which was great. Yeah. Now I actually think it's a short. Okay. Because I think everybody's looking at the Ukraine crisis is going to be prolonged, but oil just finds a home. Okay. It's, you know, you can transfer it from one ship to another, so it no longer looks like a Russian flagged ship. Uh-huh. You know, and there's plenty of places in the world where that will happen. Oil will find a home.
1: Mm-hmm. Where does it not... leave oil majors and oil stocks?
2: Oil and stocks have kind of reflected the skepticism. I mean, they haven't gone, they're kind of reflecting $70, $80 barrels, which I yeah. think is, you know, probably right.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So they're not, they're not screaming buys, they're not screaming sells. But mm-hmm. oil itself, which is, you know, and, you know, there, there is a place in the energy uh, complex that I think is really interesting. It's you know, pipelines in the United States, natural gas pipelines. So those are really interesting because natural gas in the U.S. will go to Europe and we need to build more. And in particular, there's one I like, which I think we talked about last time was um, Equitrans, which is the right. Mountain Valley Pipeline. It's been slowed up because there's, you know, yet they thought they had all their ducks in a row. And yet there's another environmental challenge. They get the last 20 miles. Mm. We will, I'm pretty sure sh- this company will survive the, the delay. But the, the question is now, anyway, it's a good place to invest.
1: Okay. So coming back here to the Fed. So and to your point, your previous point, I guess if inflation is 7%, the Fed can't really lower rates into that. That would be completely insane. Yeah,
2: um, but, but we've talked about it, but think about it. We could, we could consider that because we're having a slowing down, we're having, you know, we're going to have political pressure and they're going to be pushing us to uh, accommodate this higher in oil price. But yeah. that oil price is going to be pretty squiggly
0: mm. and
2: it's going to be high and then we're going to have all the U.S. producers, you know, coming online, all the uh, alternative sources, the, the shale plays are all going to come on. Mm. So that's going to, you know, oil will stay high, but it's not going to drop through the, you know, it's not going to go to 200
1: yeah. 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 Anyway, as, mm-hmm. as far as like economic pressures, though, and if there is an economic slowdown after the, after the Fed does a couple of rate hikes, yeah, uh, you, you don't think it's feasible that they'll reverse course.
2: Oh, I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I just don't think so. That's the big question. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind. So what does the Fed, how does the Fed take a look at this? Mm-hmm. Do They look at this historically or do they still fight the last war? Mm-hmm. Are they still fighting mm-hmm. the great financial crisis and trying to accommodate every little hiccup yeah. in the economy with, with looseness in the monetary mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. And that was going to add to the inflationary pressure. Mm-hmm. And so that's the question. How does the mm-hmm. Fed think about this? See, yeah. I'm of the age where I can remember inflation. Mm. <laughs> and not many people do anymore. Yeah, right. So that's a whole thing. It's a, it's a psychology. And that psychology, you know, in some ways, we have what was happening in the late 60s. We have... In 70s, we have a, we have a, a war which is Ukraine. It's not the U.S. war, but it's a, a war in the in the world, a great superpower. And we have a constraint on oil and gas. It feels very similar. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, we have a go-go economy, which was you know what was happening in the late 60s, the Nifty Fifty, or we doing the go-go thing. And you know, we're now with unicorns, so we mm-hmm. now have a, a unicorn land where mm. you know, a, economics doesn't really matter. So that. It will matter. And the question is how and when and how do we kind of find our way through it? What we're seeing now is the beginning of, you know, really pretty nasty inflation. Seven, eight percent is pretty nasty. Yeah. And we have what real rates at you know, the 10 the, the year treasury is 250.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, 10 years and you're five, you know, five percent below in the inflation rate. I mean, you're losing money, yep. you know, on, on a real basis. It's 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 hard to conceive. So you, you have to think that inflation is going to drop like a rock to get there. And to get there to drop like a rock, you've got to have, you know, given the amount of money that's been pumped into the economy to drain that is a different thing. And so what we have, in my opinion, is everybody's thinking about the last war. It's like, you know, France making the Maginot line. We're going to defend ourselves against Germany. Germany just kind of doesn't end around. We're, we're fighting a war that is no longer being fought. Mm. And that's, what with how i think about inflation and mm-hmm. so that to me is my is my biggest thesis which i think we talked about earlier is the whole thing is you need cash flow today is yeah. going to be worth more than cash flow tomorrow right cash flow that can withstand credit crunches and the mm-hmm. economy economy slowing down
1: mm-hmm. and there are some companies that you think can do that right yep
2: so okay let's, let's,
1: Let's talk let's come back and talk about that but let me first take a short break to here have our sponsors say their thing. If you are a premium subscriber, you will not get the break, so don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. And if you want to become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.com
0: and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And, of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech.
1: Remember, the .com website works as well, contrarian.supercast.com. And, of course, don't forget the sub Contrarian Pod. Dot substack.com, same prices at both services. Check it out today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Here you go. All right, welcome back here. Uh, Leo Schmidt, River Eddy Capital. We're talking about these companies that can withstand this credit crunch. So let's hear it. What what are your ideas here?
2: So we talked about a couple uh, individual things, and let me touch, let me save the business development corpse for point two, but point sure. one is um, what I like are um, me- uh, medical d- companies that are spun out of some of the big, uh, like Merck and Pfizer have two spin outs that are just, they're single digit PEs, they generate cash, they're at you know 10% free cash flow yield or seven, seven eight, nine, 10% free cash flow yields, and they have a tremendous amount of debt. So, yes, and they, they're unloved because they're not going to grow, but that cash flow is strong, steady, and you now have um, companies that, you know, that were orphan companies, part of a bigger company. So, they were, you know, the cash flow cow for Pfizer and the cash flow cow for Merck, and another one's going to be spun out of GlaxoSmithKline, and these all have single-digit PEs in a world of, you know, 18, 19 <laughs> market P.E., And they have cash flow yields that are through the roof. Yes, they have a lot of debt. And so they're going to pay down their debt. They're going to make acquisitions. And they're going to have a management team that's now incented to grow their companies and make some smart investments, smart uh, acquisitions, smart R&D development, where before all that money was just pushed up to the parent company. Okay. What are the names? So um, Vertras, VTRS, which is uh, the spin out of um, Pfizer, it was merged with uh, Mylan Labs, which I actually kind of like They're generic manufacturing. It's the Pfizer-Upjohn company. One of the things that's going to happen is all the Mylan products are going to go through the Upjohn um, international distribution. So that should be a little growth. It's been clobbered because they uh, sold off their biotech unit, or, and um, that was the growth machine. So their growth now is being rethought. It, it, it's a phenomenal idea. It's, you know, the cash is like, it's over 10% free cash flow. Wow, um, okay. Uh, other one is Organon. It's a spin out out of Merck, OGN. And Organon is, um, you know, uh, they have a woman's health business that's pretty nice. Again, they have a tremendous amount of over-the-counter generic drugs, which I particularly love because these are cash flow machines. It's branded drugs. You know it's stuff that you use over and over again and they have lots of them so it's a steady cash flow yes it may go down in a recession because you don't buy that extra whatever you know for your ointment for your finger but you know you need this stuff and it is again a cash flow machine and they have a woman's health business that they're going to really try to grow so this may not be a rocket ship certainly you know but it will be something that has high free cash flow, and you're going to see just increasing cash flow as they pay down debt. Mm. It's, it's a real simple story. They, they have the ability to improve their credit metrics just based on their own cash flow. And that cash flow has really va- tremendous value in a world that we live in today, mm. where cash flow today is, is worth much more than the cash flow in the future. Mm. I mean, it's always a good idea, but it's going to become in particularly important there's another one that's going to be spun out of GlaxoSmithKline in the second quarter of this year. It might fall over to the third quarter. You can buy GlaxoSmithKline now. It's an interesting idea. But you could wait till, um, till the spin-out. And then this, what happens in the spin-out, Portfolio Managers has two pieces of paper. I own Glaxo because I like their, whatever, their cancer drugs. But I have this other piece of paper that's this slow-growing, over-the-counter, you know, I didn't really like it that much. So, but typically what happens is the portfolio manager dumps the ugly duckling. And that ugly duckling gets really, really cheap on the spin out. And then you, you buy it. And, you know, it used to be in the 90s, it was, it was like shooting fish in the barrel. I, I bought tons of these. And they were every time the ugly duckling goes down, you buy it, it just gets a, You get a bounce. But typically you have management that's finally incented to grow the company instead of just Pushing cash to the parent, we we I used to call them orphans. We called them mm-hmm. orphans. Mm-hmm. You know the orphan company. And now so Smith,
1: uh-huh. so we don't know what's what's been asked going to be what it's going to be called yet or what? I
2: don't know is. what it's going to be yeah. called yet, but it's due to in the second quarter, which is I think a phenomenal idea. I mean, when right. it comes to just, I think they're also going to pass put into that the vaccine business. Yeah, which is a really interesting business because it's difficult to do. You have a lot of FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, Issues because you're injecting directly in. So the, the manufacturing process has to be exceptionally pure. It's difficult to do. And, um, you know, that's it's a, it's a nice little business. Beatrice has the Myelin business, which also has injectables. Right. Um, so that's, and, you know, a couple of these companies like, like uh, Beatrice has um, an EpiPen issue because EpiPen's for Myelin and the, it's, they have legal overhangs. All that stuff is noise. Take a look at the cash flow and take a look at how steady that is and the multiple sources that it's coming from. It's not not one drug. It's many, many, many small drugs. I think the GlaxoSmithKline company has $1,900 million brands that they generate. I mean, these are companies, it's just they have tremendous cash flow. Anyway, mm-hmm. so those the high are,
1: levels of debt are not a concern here, especially with interest rates rising. I mean, gonna
2: pay, they're, um, so, they're going to pay. Uh, they gonna have gonna the cash more, to
1: pay it off, I guess. So,
2: Beatrice is going to divest. I think roughly six billion dollars of companies. So they have twenty-four billion of debt. They're going to divest, and they're going to, uh, you know, roughly six billion. So we don't know which ones yet. So that's a, always a concern. We don't know, but you know, that'll knock it down to eighteen, and you have six billion dollars of uh, EBITDA, six and a half. So that's, you know, that's going to be a three times multiple and a steady cash flow. So it's borderline investment grade.
0: Hmm. And if they were
2: well known, if the management was known, it would definitely be investment grade. And they're going to knock it down to two and a half. And that would take another, you know, year, two years to get to that spot. So in the meantime, they're going to pay dividends and buy back stock. And, you know, once you get to that, you know, two and a half times leverage, you got a lot of cash.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no question.
0: Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information.
1: Let's talk about these business development companies, BDCs.
2: BDC. So um, what's really nice about business development companies are kind of like, you're kind of running into the teeth of the, of, of the beast, right? Hmm because you're looking at companies that have leverage and they're making, le- they're making leverage loans to high-yield, you know, entities. So, you know, typically when you have a P.E. company making an acquisition, they need a first lien loan. But then they can issue, they can buy the company with this first lien loan, so they put in a drop of equity, they get a first lien loan, they issue high-yield debt, bonds, you know, five, 10 years out, and then, you know, you, they pay off some of that first lien loan, And of course, you know, that bank, so it's a place banks used to play in. Banks used to do this. At the end of the great financial crisis, banks were kind of prohibited. Mm. So there's all these companies that have grown up called Business Development Corps. They are, you know, making this uh, the CLOs, all these credit loans, you know, collateralized loan obligations, which then get, you know, packaged off in securitized product. And, you know, that is a bit of, you know, the same craziness that led to the great financial crisis, all these mortgage products that all got bundled up and people you know, took a look at um,
1: diversity. It doesn't sound particularly safe, Leo, I gotta tell you. It
2: is not, so I'm giving you, so, <laughs> but the question is, so when you find the right manager, you have the first lien loan. So first lien loan okay. means you're standing in line, you're the number one person. So even if the company goes bankrupt, you still get, you own the whole company in essence. You, the company becomes you, so you cl- capture the whole value of the company. So the question is, are you making a good loan to a good, so yes, the, the financial leverage might be too much, but you don't really care if you're standing first in line.
1: Yeah, so but there are BDCs that make these first lien loans, yep. and so I my favorite a super is, senior or whatever.
2: Uh, GBDC, if I, I looked it up uh, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, they have like 90% of their portfolio in first lien loans. And so you have a very low risk, plus the very good managers. They've been doing it since 1994. Take a look at, I think they have like a 7 or 8% um, dividend.
1: Right. Yeah, current prices is actually almost 8%. Yeah. And so, okay. And now there's no chance because there's a lot of problems, as you know, if you invest in like say a hedge fund and it has a good strategy, sometimes the, manager starts to do other strategies, but there's, and, and with this, obviously it's all loans, but there's no chance that they deviate from the first lien.
0: They've
2: been portion. doing this since, you know, for 30, 40, um, 30 okay. years.
1: And all of it's first lien loans. They've never well, gone up the risk question.
2: Most uh-huh. of it's first lien loans. There's others uh-huh. who do not quite do the same um, level of first lien loans, but if you look for um, Aries Capital does a pretty decent job, they're right. expensive, more expensive. There are certainly managers that have higher yields, but they're taking more risk. I like Golub because they take a. They'll, believe it or not, at eight percent, it's sort of, it's like a wheat. So BDCs are are forced by law to dividend out like ninety percent of whatever they take in. Mm. So it's a wheat, but it's not a wheat. Mm. It's a bank that's making or a company that makes loans to other companies.
1: Interesting. And Golub, they they have not recaptured their pre-pandemic highs yet. If I look at the chart here. Nope. It was up to February of 2020. It was right around 1750, and it hasn't. Bro- it broached 16 briefly, barely maybe, but right now it's around 15. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's still a, quite a big discount to the pre-pandemic yeah. level.
2: Yeah, the, and there's a there's a group of them out there. But um, well, you like
1: this one best, GBD. I like yeah.
2: this is my favorite because they have they have the highest percentage of first lien loans, which mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. when the credit crunch comes, which we've been talking about. These guys stand in line, so you actually, in some ways, it's vulture investing at its best. You buy a company, you're giving a loan for whatever, and then you know if they, if 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 your equity sponsor goes bust, you get the whole company. Yeah, which you know may be a bit of a uh, strange way to buy a company, but it's (laughs) a clever way, and then that cash flow comes to you. So the question is, have you bought or have you lent to good? Businesses and these guys are pretty smart managers. And this you know, would then
1: be passed on even to the public shareholders, they would get the
2: yeah. So,
1: this doesn't look like this company. How long have they been public? I was uh, trying to see what I they did during how their long
2: their They've been public I know. It's since been a, 2010, I think. Okay, probably at least 2013. 14, yeah, I think
1: 2011. Okay, I thought that might have been around during the, but the, during company, the crisis. But
2: the, the managers have been doing this kind of loan. Got it, just not as
1: public before. Yeah.
2: They've been doing it for, you know, you had to be, you know, um, an accredited investor yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. An and you're not
1: worried at all about private equity, the, the fact that, I mean, the, they would be at the kind of a, a risky thing here if we have, as we have. Well, private managers. equity
2: is crazy, but this yeah. is kind of in some ways um, taking advantage of the private equity craziness and Mm -hmm. you're getting to be paid well because private equity needs somebody to put up the money.
1: Sure. Interesting.
2: So in some ways you're it's in, it's taken advantage of. And then these guys, because they're good, they like, so they, they have avoided most retail. They would typically do loans for medical practices, you know, um, again, picking and choosing where you make a loan and an Mm -hmm. investment. Mm -hmm. I believe they have about 250 separate, you know, investments. Um, And that's the kind of thing that, you know, gives you roughly a a well-diversified portfolio that generates cash. Yes, they have leverage, but you know, the ability to service the leverage is the question. It's not the amount of leverage, or it is the amount of leverage, but it's the ability to service the stability, Mm -hmm. the cash flow, And that can you, do you have a cushion to to cover that? And these guys have been good. Mm -hmm. They've done it through a number of crises. And so, and that is an interesting place for me to, to generate mm-hmm. income and um, cash flow and you know, have you know, relatively low risk. Although when you think about it, it sounds terribly risky.
1: Yeah, but like you said, if, if they're first lien loans. And, and the pharma part, I mean, that sounds like you know, something like that with the cash flows. I mean, it sounds like healthcare in general might not be a bad idea.
2: Healthcare can be a really great place.
1: Especially now because you know, these staples... Right, things that people are yeah. going to have to buy.
2: Yeah, and ironically, you know, so and these are kind of unloved, unloved healthcare because the yeah. slow growers. Right. But, you know, slow growth is better than no growth. Sometimes it
1: sure is. Yeah.
2: And um, cash flow today is worth a lot more than cash flow tomorrow. Right. And these don't have the patent cliffs that a lot of companies have. Right,
1: right, right. So you right, have right, to right. keep
2: reinventing to the next, you know, wonder drug. Mm. So all that is takes a lot of the risk off the table and Mm -hmm. investors have been paying for growth at almost any price right now. And that, that will change in my opinion.
1: Yep. Very interesting. All right, Leo Schmidt, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor podcast today. In closing, maybe um, you can tell people about how they can find out more about you. I know you Uh, have a Twitter that's been dormant, by the way.
2: Yes, I do. I don't really use Twitter. I I linked in a little bit, you know, I have, I have a private client group and I'm in the, in a, um, semi-retirement mode. So I don't necessarily need um, to find investors. Although, you know, if you really want to uh, ding me or ping me on uh, LinkedIn and I'll get back to you.
1: Okay, fair enough. Cool. And, you, and you're still um, upstate, was it? Okay, I forgot.
2: Yeah, so I have, a, I have a, my place upstate. I'm looking at the Delaware River and we've been going back and forth to New York. I have a loft in midtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So that's been nice to come back to. Mm-hmm. Finally, they have restaurants and the little theater. Yeah, I've noticed that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are slowly okay. coming back.
2: Yeah, finally, Great. That's, that's a whole nother question about what's happening with the pandemic, but.
1: Right, right. And we've had several, you know, false starts before there, but yeah, but it does look like New York is. Uh, well,
2: is New York is coming. crazy. Yeah. Well, oh, I hate to say it that way, but, you know, we're having people who do not understand immunology or viruses creating public policy. So that's a, that's a sad state of affairs. Right. That's actually, I don't know how much time we have, but that's an interesting theme to push on China with on China is doing a lockdown. And in that lockdown, they are going to destroy any chance of having this. So, you know, if you have a supply chain in China, you must be looking like crazy to find an alternative source. So companies that help do that will be interesting. There's a number of them that I own um, they're um, EMS, electronic manufacturing service companies like uh, J-Bill, Holestika, Sanmina, um, they've all done well. Um, They may get hit, but uh, I own them now. It's probably fair. But um, when they, when China is going to create tremendous problems for everybody's supply chains, these guys are nimble. They're going to be able to relocate and resource that supply chain and put it into other locations. And that's going to be very important because China is, um, I mean, they're doing as much, I mean, the idea that you can lock down and, and keep out the virus is insanity. I mean, it, you, everybody's going to be exposed and running around. So it's going to be like a common cold, right? So it's trying to lock out the common cold. I mean- Yeah, well, you- let's
1: not go there. But the point is you have these companies. And what do these companies do? They, they manufacture and they're moving.
2: Yeah. So they manufacture, they are contract manufacturing. Uh, Apple uses Foxconn, um, sure, yeah. a Chinese company. Um, but I would, you know, these are their direct competitors. But in basically, they have forsworn cell phones, most of them. And they do a huh. uh, much more high-end kind of um, manufacturing. So Celestica does all sorts of things for the Defense Department. They do uh, servers. So they might be doing servers. What are the for- tickers again? CLS, Celestica, JBL, DBL, JBL, excuse me, right, and um, Sanmina, which is S A N M. Got it. Very cool. Those are all great things for the for the China supply chain because that's going to be that's the big issue. With what? How fast do people move out of China? Because.
1: Yeah, I saw an interesting piece the other day, uh, actually yesterday, about Mexico being a big winner of the uh, of this whole. And, and it's not just because they're people going to manufacture there, but as they as companies move to manufacture more in the U.S., they need to acquire stuff from Mexico, and so they'll or they'll do like the early stage, like um, you know, labor intensive manufacturing, and then the more techno- technological stuff will be done in the U.S. and Texas or wherever.
2: Yep. Yep. It's so, yeah. a couple of places. Eastern Europe, even with the Ukraine, will become an important place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, India and uh, Indonesia will also become yeah. more important
1: places. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, Indonesia was the subject of a podcast about a month or two ago, uh, by the way, from a different perspective. That was, I think, pre-invasion. But anyway, that's where we are today. Great stuff, Leo. You've given us a whole bunch of really cool ideas to talk about. And um, we'd like to come back and revisit these. Yeah, as you you did uh, just last week, and yeah, we saw that most your ideas. I'm gonna go back
2: and do that again. It's like how dumb was I? But I wasn't. No, no, bad. no. You
1: were you were pretty you were pretty good. My, and and um your your stocks all made money, um maybe oh, with one exception.
2: We forgot. Yeah, we forgot. Uh, uh, we uh, then I was talking about Nokia and Ericsson. That's again, right. Again, those guys also on the list. Ericsson in particular, because they got clobbered lately. And those are really good plays because Huawei is no longer going to be right. competing in Europe. Interesting. So, wow. um, okay. you got, yeah. Anyways, those, so that's a whole the bunch of stuff. It right. keeps going forward. Ericsson, Nokia, the only two Western companies that, support, well, Sen, um,
0: Samsung, Samsung does, yeah. but
2: it's, it's a weak player. But uh, Ericsson and Nokia are the two places for 5G.
1: Right. Very cool. All right. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on the, the podcast, Leo. Really appreciate your time. And thank you all for listening. And we look forward to speaking to you again next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating,